Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and today we are going to cover a topic that is so important, relevant to the, the conversation we were having last week on the show about therapy and how it's designed and, and why highly sensitive kids stuck in the meltdown cycle don't benefit from therapy to fix the problem. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. If you are parenting a sensitive kid who is hitting, kicking, screaming, yelling, throwing things on the floor, running away, shutting down, refusing to connect with you, refusing to follow through on activities and expectations, you find yourself wondering, does my child need more Uh, strict parenting? Does my child need more space to uh, feel their big feelings? Does my child just need more love, right? And some of you might be wondering, does my child need therapy? And when we break out of this pattern with so many families, we've been doing this for many, many years, over a decade. I've been working in the mental health field for over 14 years at this point. And in terms of serving families uh, break out of this pattern consistently, one thing that I really had to come to terms with in my career is noticing that the mental health industry is not designed to serve this problem. And so that's a big controversial statement coming from a therapist, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and, and it's one of the, th- the controversial topics that I'm happy to talk about and I uh, talk about quite often Uh, Because it's really important for you as a parent to hear why that is and to understand it. Because when we look at understanding the difference between uh, using a therapeutic intervention and uh, creating a therapeutic, uh, supportive, emotionally intelligent home so that your child can be emotionally resilient, uh, all of that can be done without therapy when your child is stuck in the meltdown cycle. That, in fact, is what's necessary. Now, it is very important that we stay out of the all or nothing thinking perspective and think that I'm saying therapy is baloney or therapy doesn't work for anything or therapy is terrible. No, that's not what what I say. I've never said that before. And yet people will be people and humans will be humans and we will try to characterize a situation and extrapolate and jump to conclusions because that's what the human mind does when it is rash and stuck in survival mode. And I will continue to say over and over and over again that mental health care and mental health therapy for children, adolescents, and adults is necessary in certain circumstances and life-saving in in many circumstances as well. And for highly sensitive children who are stuck in the meltdown cycle, it is counterproductive. Those two truths can be true at the same time. And so that's what we're going to talk about here. 
all right? Um, it's really important for you as a parent to understand that and to, and to, to pick it apart, right? Uh, and so I'll talk about it on today's show and I'll talk about it on other shows and I've talked about it before. Uh, today what we're going to talk about is the process that I mentioned last week related to how therapy is designed and why children stuck in the meltdown cycle don't benefit from that process. And this, again, we're talking with the understanding that my specialty is in helping parents of children who feel deeply, think deeply, experience and witness and and process subtle small changes from the world, are easily overstimulated and are highly emotionally reactive because they lack the skills of emotion regulation. This is the personality trait, this is the temperament type, and children are struggling and suffering in homes as a result with daily meltdowns, multiple times a day meltdowns, constant and consistent aggression, even to the point where there's multiple times a week uh, aggression, even if it's not daily, that is not developmentally appropriate uh, and aggression, uh, consistent aggression, you know, hitting more than once or twice in, uh, in, in a fit of rage is not developmentally appropriate over the age of four, let alone daily meltdowns, not, emo- not developmentally appropriate over the age of three. And so if you're parenting a child who you notice is feeling very big feelings, expresses remorse or doesn't, might, might even double down on why what they did was uh, necessary or you know deny responsibility, it's important that you listen up. And, and it doesn't matter your child's age, this is all the same root cause. And that's what we're gonna talk about today because the root cause that your child is struggling with, you might think that it, it, it is a brain difference to the point where your child needs to be repaired, right? When we look at therapy, Therapy is designed to repair past damage and past hurt. And so an adult can benefit from therapy, a highly sensitive adult can benefit from therapy to change their perception of how they were raised, to support them in um, support, you know, if you're a highly sensitive parent, you may have benefited from being able to process by talking your emotional experiences as a child and telling your story, right? And so it is really important to take that personal experience or take stories of other people's personal experience and look at it in context of the child's brain. Your child's brain is learning and experiencing differently than non-highly sensitive children, okay? So if you are parenting one child and you don't have a reference point with your other children, it can be really difficult to understand or, or determine or learn what makes your child tick and it's also true that if you are raising multiple children and you're comparing your sensitive kid to your other children who aren't as sensitive or who aren't sensitive at all from a a temperament standpoint you can start to think that it it is a your kid problem and it's very important to understand what we talk about related to, to the meltdown cycle that the meltdown cycle is a family dynamic issue every single person in the family is contributing to the problem and whether you like it or not that's happening you have to wrap yourself, your brain around that that concept. And uh, we, we, we talk about this often in our show because it is a different way to look at the same problem, okay? Um, 
And uh, it's not something that most professionals will talk to you about. They will tell you that you can teach your child direct coping skills. They will tell you that you can uh, work, you know, send your child to a professional to talk to them about teaching them direct coping skills, et cetera. And, and I wanna back up and, and look broadly about the history of mental health therapy for children and observe why this is not uh, an effective method to break out of the meltdown cycle today. And I'm gonna try and keep it short because again, like I said, I've, I've spoken about this before, so you can definitely do a deep dive on any of our channels or shows. So we think about this uh, from a high level perspective. First, you need to know who am I, right? If this is the first time you're hearing from me, uh, how am I an authority on the topic? So let's first cover that, right? So I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. That means that I have not just 14 years of experience in the field, but also um, clinically significant and uh, career-wide career significant training in understanding the child's uh, brain, understanding child mental health, in treating child mental health issues, and uh, mental health concerns as well as uh, mental illness. So mental illness would be considered uh, psychosis, um, uh, bipolar disorder, et cetera, whereas a uh, mental health issue would be anxiety, depression, typically more of characterized by both circumstances and uh, emotional needs and skills, okay? So my experience is, is not just in working with children directly, it's also in working with parents directly, teaching parents how to become a therapeutic change agent in the home through the therapy model once a week, maybe even twice a week, three times a week in an out, um, outpatient setting, okay? And I was successful in that, so successful that I grew my private practice from a one-man, one-woman show <laughs> to uh, seven plus two interns within uh, under under three years and we we were a teaching practice and I did that for five straight years running a teaching practice hired my first team member in under uh, my first year of of work because of the high demand in the community that I worked in and so uh, the the work not just high demand but also you know preference word of mouth right so um, successful right uh, clients benefited from our specialty, and our specialty was in working with parents of highly sensitive children and children who were highly sensitive, in addition to that, highly sensitive teens who were engaging in chronic suicidal behaviors, so chronic self-harm and uh, in and out of the hospital before they came to us or parents wanted to keep their child out of the hospital, their teenage child. So uh, we used evidence-based treatment for that as well as evidence-based treatment for the play therapy that we used and I tweaked it to assess our own, um, and by tweak it, I, I mean we used the evidence-based treatment and I added an extra level of support and extra requirements for all of our clients to learn about the highly sensitive trait and to shift the um, behavior management in the home because the evidence-based treatments for children to develop emotion management skills through play therapy as well as through other modalities um, are not sufficient in breaking out of this pattern. So I had to design my own. So um, we, like I said, we did this for, for five years simultaneously, uh, ran, and, and prior to that, like I said, you know, my, I've been working in this field um, 
at, with other people being my boss for many years prior to that and um, simultaneously ran the coaching company and, and only now run the coaching company, company only uh, because the results that we saw in the private practice, though good, uh, were not as fast at, or as uh, significantly thorough than the private practice because of the things that I'm going to talk about today, right? So when you work inside a model and you try to change the model, right? Therapy is designed to do one-to-one -one, um, support. So we changed that. We required um, parents to attend one-to-one, -one, required the, the child to attend one-to-one, -one, also had the, the parents come into the child's session. So it was not just one-to-one. -one. We, never, we never did individual therapy in our practice because that does not work for highly sensitive kids. And um, no matter what's going on with the child, even if the, the highly sensitive child is traumatized. And uh, we also offered and, and required group therapy for the highly sensitive children and highly sensitive teens alike because of the needs that were, uh, were presenting in the meltdown cycle, okay? So three times a week, was the necessary approach for getting out of this pattern. And we solved this, this problem, broke the meltdown cycle for parents who followed through and were consistent and attended and, and brought the feedback and did their homework and, and, and all of that. And it, as I mentioned before, it, it took longer. It took about a year, sometimes a year and a half to break out of this pattern with my methods, all right? So all of that to be said, uh, we serve now our clients in as little as eight weeks can break out of that pattern. Big dichotomy, right? Um, big, big difference. So um, that's why we, we do this now and why I left the mental health industry. But it, it's important to understand that that doesn't mean I, I abandoned my training and I abandoned my expertise or I, I abandoned my licensure, right? I still uphold that. I, I maintain and, and continue the training, the CEUs that are required to uphold uh, my specialties and, and my certifications. And so does the rest of my team uh, here in the coaching consulting world because we are coaching and consulting for parents who need local support in tandem, uh, potential uh, OT or IEP or 504 support, with, which is the special education supports that parents might need. And so uh, we stay at the forefront of the research as well as at the forefront of um, understanding what's out there, right, um, as good professionals do. So when we look at this pattern, now that you have a little bit of the bio, let's cover uh, what I was alluding to uh, related to the, um, the, the challenge that you might be facing and when you're trying to figure out what works or you're feeling stuck because you've already tried to apply what isn't working, okay? So when we look at um, myth number one or, or the issue related to one-to-one -one therapy for a sensitive kid and even two-to-one where the parent comes into the session, it's important to understand the, the initial nature, the history of mental health therapy. Okay? Mental health therapy for children is over a century old, um, about you know, designed and, and uh, specifically applied for over 100 years with children is, is when um, different types of professionals started to write and teach methods of, of using mental health therapy with children. And at first they were applying the adult methods to children, right? And that, that you know, started to, started, professionals started to understand that that didn't work. Anna Freud, um, Carl Jung, um, Stanley Greenspan, et cetera, all started to um, 
write and, and um, share different approaches to addressing child mental health differently than adult mental health because prior to that, um, they you know, professionals would either perceive children to be uh, have adult brains and small bodies or um, be you know completely moldable puppets right and so once child the child development science started to take um, take shape and ch people started to write their experiences and experiment on children um, from a mental health standpoint and, and play around with it and, and um, you know some of those experiments were damaging to the ch child's psyches and some of them were more focused on uh, observations um, the the field improved right so 1920s 1960s all of this going on and um, then in in the 1960s there started to become a, a, a greater curiosity on how the parent-child relationship Im impacts the the uh, the child the child's mental health a child's mental health okay so all that being said, all of this research was designed to primarily support the mental health industry, one-to-one -one service, either one-to-one um, -one related to a one expert and uh, one child, or uh, therapy, uh, family therapy, excuse me, where one family, one expert, okay? Um, and, and, and so that's the majority of the research, all the way up through uh, the 1990s. Um, and, and in the 1990s, there started to become a larger plethora of study around group work for parents and um, group approach to teaching parents, parenting education, and yet still quite sparse. It, um, it, it, it took shape over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, and the, the um, experience of play therapy that started and, and the study of play therapy and using play in supporting children um, really took shape uh, for fathers in the 60s, as well, Axline as a, as a woman, um, and then again into the 90s with Gary Landreth. So um, again, all using primarily a one-to-one -one model to assess and learn about children and then extrapolate that. So the one-to-one um, -one model is designed to focus on healing, okay? And um, that's the background. I mean, that's the foundation of therapy is to heal something that is broken, dysfunctional, um, not working consistently, not working well, right? And so with that being said, the nature of what has been found to be useful in therapy or effective in therapy for children who have experienced trauma um, ha has been at the beginning of, of the, uh, the field, um, a focus on healing something that's broken, right? Like I said, and also supporting the, the person, in this case, the child, in learning to figure out what they want to do about it, right? Um, deciding whether or not they want to change. And so when we look at this um, in a nutshell, therapy in and of itself is only sometimes focused on uh, supporting change. And the other part of therapy is focused on deciding whether or not someone wants to change, right? And so when you use therapy, to allow for that space to want to change or not, then you delay the process, 
right? You delay the process of change because you assume that the child may or may not want to change, may or may not want to feel better and um, has some repairing to do in their trust of wanting to feel better. And that takes a, a really long time if you're only meeting with the child weekly, right? Because if the child is hesitant or hemming and hawing about change, subconsciously, right? The kids aren't necessarily saying this directly to a therapist because the therapist is using play to communicate, not direct talk usually. Um, not always, right? But when, when we're talking about um, which, what's most effective for child mental health, it's, it's play therapy. This approach works really well for children who have had significantly damaging relationships with their caregivers or with um, trusted individuals or um, individuals who hurt them. So I'm, I'm talking trauma, right? Um, abuse, neglect, um, sexual abuse, etc. Uh, witnessing domestic violence, etc. So that approach makes sense. Slow and steady wins the race for uh, breaking out of a trauma pattern. Now, when we look at uh, taking that approach to a highly sensitive child, um, a highly sensitive child who is growing up in a home where parents are not actively abusing their children, not passively abusing their children, maybe yelling, which feels very scary to a child, um, maybe invalidating, which feels very disconnecting for a child, for sure, right? And this is something that's likely going on in your home. Uh, it's also important to understand that there's a certain level of functioning that's that uh, your family is not experiencing, right? This is not abusive households that we're talking about. And yet, uh, when we look at this, uh, this component of approaching the, the work from a uh, a therapy standpoint, the therapist learns in Therapy 101, as I said last week, that it's not our job to change the client. The, ch the client has to want to change themselves. So again, we're waiting for the child to want to change, right? And um, this doesn't work for highly sensitive kids because when you operate with the assumption that no child was put on this earth to be miserable, then it's actually a heck of a lot easier and faster to support a child in changing because what you're doing is you're noticing that the child actually does want to change and uh, you're, you're communicating to the child from that place rather from hemming and hawing and hesitancy. Now, as a parent, when you're seeing your child lack skills, you can jump to the conclusion that maybe they don't want to change. Maybe they are willfully engaging in this aggressive or isolative behavior. Uh, maybe they're running away because they don't want to feel better right? And so again, if you take your child with that assumption to a provider who is, tell, who is following the same assumption, then it's the blind leading the blind solving this problem. You see that, right? So it's really important to not uh, assume that your child doesn't want to feel better. And the method of one-to-one -one, uh, work, it, 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 is, it at the core makes that assumption. And so this is why when we... Um, when we break out of this pattern and, and when any ineffective or damaging or significantly uh, stressful pattern is broken out of with any evidence-based treatment, there is a protocol to follow, right? So 
Therapy, like I said before, is very useful for breaking out of traumatic experiences, for repairing uh, relationships where trauma is is, uh, part of the dynamic, and extremely helpful when children are are engaging in life-threatening behaviors. You know, when parents come to us and their child is actively trying to hurt or kill themselves, we refer them to DBT, okay? Uh, when parents come to us and their child's experienced significant domestic violence, uh, witnessed or experienced physical abuse, we refer them to TFCBT or other more appropriate avenues of, of mental health therapy. All of those mental health therapies that are evidence-based uh, have protocols that require multiple times a week contact. They also require a um, intense level of engagement from the parent, right? So in order to break out of an intense pattern, like a daily meltdown cycle, when there is no trauma um, from, from you know, no direct trauma, no direct mistreatment of the child, uh, it requires intense support. You have to notice that those two threads, based on what we do and, and uh, what, you know, what, what mental health therapy would do for, for a traumatized child uh, or a child who is, who is really struggling significantly towards self-destructive behavior, and I say child because young children uh, it can engage in this significant behavior as well as adolescents, but primarily it gets to that point, highly sensitive kids who grow up in invalidating environments get to that point by the time they're 14, 13, 14 plus. Um, at that point, mental health therapy with a protocol is necessary, okay? So um, the protocol, all of those protocols are, mu- are more frequent than once a week. They include parent-child interaction and they include parent-only interaction. So when we look at the uh, cross-comparison, it's really important for you to have a layman's understanding of how you're comparing uh, apples to apples and apples to oranges, right? So uh, when you're looking to seek support for your child and when you're looking to understand the problem that you have. Uh, The problem that you have when your child is feeling out of control in their body on a daily basis, that is traumatizing for your child. And because the trauma is is happening inside their emotional experiences and due to uh, a lack of control, you have to treat it with more intensity than a, um, treat it meaning not not from a medical model, but like consider it as uh, much more intense than just the, your regular old run-of-the-mill, my kid won't listen to me parent model, right? Parenting model. I need to shift the way I talk to my kid. It is not that simple. You have to look at this from a more intense way. And and um, that's why we worked to do that in the construct of the mental health model at the private practice, right? So again, going back to that whole, you know, three days a week type of thing. And um uh, in addition to that, contact with our therapist outside of the session. That was all included in the work that we did. Um, communication, direct communication to access the skills and use the skills. That was the model that we uh, designed and applied. And when we look at the, the approach that a typical therapist will take when they see a highly sensitive child, they're going to use the one-to-one model. And the issue with that, number two, is related to the fact that this drives a wedge between the parent and the child. Um, and, and that relationship's already damaged. Um, and I, I use the word damaged not to say that it's broken, um, but it, it is significantly ruptured. And you need to be able to break out of this pattern 
by looking at the fact that you as the parent are the ones who support your child. And when you are the one sending your child to a, um, uh, you know, to a provider once a week, you are not taking the issue seriously enough. You are parenting your child 168 hours of the week, whether your kid is in school or homeschooled, whether your, your kid is, is um, in multiple um, uh, uh, extracurricular activities, whether you see your child for five hours a day or um, you're with your child 24-7, you are parenting your child for 168 hours of the week because you chose to send your kid to a certain school you chose to set your kid up with those certain extracurricular activities and you chose to support your child with any other caregiver and you vetted that caregiver to support them. So you are in charge as a parent of 168 hours of your child's life. Now, without a system and noticing that this is a really stuck place that you're in, that can feel exceptionally overwhelming or exceptionally empowering. It depends on whether or not you want to look at it from a glass half full or a glass half empty standpoint. That's up to you. But if you want to look at this from a glass half full standpoint, that means, especially for parenting a highly sensitive child, you are the one who gets to influence your child's entire world. All right. And that's how highly sensitive kids learn. We're going to talk about that related to point three. But point two indicates that if you send your child to an hour a week to address this problem, the other 167 hours don't matter because that one crucial hour is what's going to make the most difference. And children do not learn that way, especially highly sensitive kids. They need more constant and frequent and consistent impact in order to generalize the skill. So what happens? You send your kid to a therapist, you send them send the message to your kid that they're the problem, they hear once a week that they're the problem, and, um, and, and because you're shipping them off, right? It's not because you're saying that to them or the therapist is saying that to them. That's not what I'm getting at. But the message, the subtle underlying message that a person gives to their child when they are putting their highly sensitive child who's stuck in the meltdown cycle in one-to-one therapy is that this problem is with you, bud. And that sucks, man. Like, pardon my French, but this, that sucks for your kid. And, and your kid knows it, and you know it, and you're left holding the bag the other 167 hours of the week, right? Maybe if you're lucky, the therapist is talking to you for the first 15 minutes or the last 15 minutes of the session. But, um, this problem cannot be solved with a 15 minute check-in. Hands down, ineffective. You will be playing whack-a-mole with fixing this problem. If your child's having daily, multiple times a day or multiple times a week, uh, meltdowns or shutdowns, you will be playing whack-a-mole. Your child may stop hitting and they, and the, and they will start yelling. Your child may stop melting down, uh, but they may start talking in a self-deprecating manner. And without understanding what behaviors need to go down first and what behaviors to be expecting next, um, without understanding what process and how to prioritize these big behaviors, you will start to think that everything is a priority and you will start to address them all at the highest priority. And excuse me, that doesn't work when parenting a highly sensitive kid because they can't be um, the, the issue cannot be attacked at the level of sending your child the message that 
um, that everything is important. Now, all of this needs to be changed right away because highly sensitive children struggle with, with self-esteem if they don't have skills, right? Um, they struggle with a self-concept. And if you're only addressing that self-concept once a week and you're addressing it by saying you're the problem, you are perpetuating the cycle. Hands down, like, um, there's no way around it. You, you can't tell me that that approach is going to work. So when we look at this issue as from a parent's perspective, it, you, it's also important to, um, you know, to stay out of the model by, uh, and, and to, uh, n- to avoid using the model on yourself in order to influence the child. The model itself is what doesn't work for highly sensitive kids stuck in the meltdown cycle. Again, like I said, if a child was significantly abused by their parents, they need one-to-one therapy. They need to go to a therapist who could, whom they can build trust and uh, assess whether or not adults are safe. Absolutely. And this brings me to my next component, right? That when the therapist is um, addressing the issue and supporting the child in learning that adults are safe, what's happening is that we are missing the assumption that the parents are also safe. We are missing that assumption. And if parents are also safe in this dynamic, then we should be using that relationship, which is much more thorough and much more connected with much more history to capitalize on speeding up the process of your child's emotional control uh, improving, uh, of your child's emotional capability improving, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean that you as a parent are the only one who um, learns skills? No, you need to be teaching your child the skills that you're learning. So you are the catalyst for change. And uh, this is what why we do what we do here at MTC. And that can be done in a much quicker setting with a effective system, right? Um, with nearly 24-7 support with, um, you know, for a short period of time, with, with, constant capacity to review and revisit um, teaching, okay? This is critically important. So when we look at the importance of, um, of why this is necessary and why I'm telling you that, that you can't apply a one-to-one model in this, in this avenue, um, even if that therapist is very good at treating trauma, right? Because we were very effective at treating trauma. I have an extensive amount of history at that in my in my career, um, and a lot of therapists do. A lot of therapists cut their teeth on uh, agency work. Right, you go work for a nonprofit, and you learn uh, with with, uh, with families who have a low low socioeconomic status, perhaps, or tra- or chronic trauma, or um, uh, constant chaos in the family dynamic from a, a standpoint of people in and out of the home. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot going on in, in the family dynamic that leads to ge- multi-generational trauma and multi-generational chaos. And a lot of therapists get started in that uh, learning, in that, in that learning environment because mostly agencies need um, manpower, right? There's a lot of need in that population and uh, professionals who learn there uh, may learn from professionals who are uh, highly energized, who take good care of themselves, who have been doing this for a long time and are highly effective and stay up with the research. 
and they also may learn from agency providers who are burnt out, jaded, tired, and invest cheaply in themselves to stay on the up and up based on what their license requires because they're underpaid and overworked. That is very, very possible and uh, very, very common in the mental health industry. The mental health industry as a system is significantly flawed. And so when we look at noticing whether or not a therapist has learned from, from their foundational standpoint, there's a lot of patterns and habits that uh, many therapists will need to unlearn. And I, I observed this as I did hiring in uh, different avenues. And as I switched um, service providers and, and um, switched different um, uh, switched in different roles, right? We moved as a, as a family um, five years into my career and it was very obvious for me to, to observe um, which types of providers were jaded and, and tired and had been doing this a long time and which types of providers had energy, took good care of themselves. And I was able to you know, be blessed with learning from, from the latter here, but also on the team noticed uh, fried and jaded professionals and, and kept my distance from that dynamic. But I will tell you that some of my colleagues did not. Um, they tend to soak up and absorb that jaded mentality. And I saw this in, in my career as I became a supervisor and took over in, um, in different settings, in both uh, outpatient as well as in, um, in residential care and um, intensive day care, day, day, therapeutic day services. So it's important to understand that new therapists are impressionable, right? And so when you are vetting a provider or vetting a, a professional whom you're listening to, you have to understand where they start from and how they view families. And if they view families from this separation of uh, me and you, uh, I know best and I'm the one that needs to, your child needs to have a direct um, relationship with me and uh, only talk to me and then you need to go talk to another person on my team, that level of separation actually damages the parent-child relationship. And your kid's got to go home to you 167 rest of the hours, right, of the week. So uh, that doesn't work, especially for children who are growing up in generally stable homes, but with this, with this massive emotional uh, un instability, right? The, the meltdown cycle affects the entire family. It is significantly unstable in that standpoint. And it's also true that uh, you, you likely have um, stable jobs. You likely have um, uh, your home and your housing isn't in flux. If it is in flux, it's because you're building a new one, right? You're, you're growing and, and um, living your, your, your best life possible related to your shelter choices, right? Um, it's not it's not because of life circumstances that are, are quite dire and quite uh, significantly complicated, right? So when we look at that standpoint, it's important to understand uh, the core of this issue and creating that, that chaos is not due to the other factors that play into families who have a chronic trauma going on and intergenerational trauma and um, 
it's a, it's a different avenue. So we can't address that singular meltdown cycle problem from the mindset of everything's going on and everything is traumatic and everything is, um, you know, parents are juggling a bazillion things uh, from a level of significant uh, need. And um, yet many therapists will address it from that avenue, which means they will separate the parent from the child in the care or they will take a uh, expert model without empowering the parents. And this takes much longer of a, of a time because of, because of the one, um, one-to-one approach, okay? So again, um, that's number, f- number three, is the perspective that the therapist is taking is, is that, uh, that, that you don't have that capacity and they need to be deferred to. And when you're trying to, re- re- and that, that uh, the attachment experience needs to be built from scratch or um, the child-parent relationship needs to not just be prepared, repaired, but also um, there's a different level of understanding that needs to be started from from the um, from the baseline, a different assessment of what the baseline plateau is, and this this is not what's going on in your home when you're parenting a sensitive kid who's stuck in the meltdown cycle. Uh, especially if you have multiple children, it's very easy for you to notice if your highly sensitive kid is the one who's struggling the most, uh, that uh, you have uh, a stronger foundation of attachment with your non-highly sensitive kids. And um, again, like I said, it goes full circle to try to, to you know, to wonder whether or not your, your sensitive kid is to blame um, or, or the cause or, you know, there's something wrong with your kid or not, right? So it's really important to, um, to take into this factor. Lastly, right, and, and uh, number four that we're going to cover today is that highly sensitive kids learn to trust themselves through the parent-child relationship. And so you can't use a therapist to learn to trust yourself for a highly sensitive children. So when we did this work in the private practice, parents attended the sessions. Parents uh, were taught how to lead the sessions. Parents were supported in, in, in doing all of this, in addition to the education, in addition to the child going to uh, group therapy and uh, using our methods. And again, like I said, that would take about a year, year and a half. Now, when you cut out the process and you, and you stop applying it to the one-to-one model, to, the, um, to, the, to this method, you can speed it up, right? How do you speed it up? First, you got to assess how you are making assumptions about your child. Again, we talked about one major one that your kid's broken today and that it's your kid's problem that they need to fix and that the healing comes from inside. Um, and, and secondly, that you're assuming, again, go, going back to that, that assumption that the, they're broken, this is a your kid problem to fix. Secondly, you need to be able to lead the show. You need to be able to assess when is your child most capable of learning, how to teach in a way that is not uh, shame-based and leading to your child struggling from a place of feeling like they're wrong, building that sense of resiliency through play and communication and uh, understanding how to do that in a way that doesn't scapegoat your kid by teaching the entire family every single thing that you're learning. Uh, And then also uh, by focusing bigger, focusing on bigger skills than just how to get your kid to uh, to go to bed on time or to brush their teeth on time. Uh, we're talking about raising adults here. And when we look at raising a child and not treating them like an adult right now, uh, you have to be looking deeper at their ability to feel capable rather than thinking about just the, the, the you know, trying to use a certain kind of words that will get your kid to brush their teeth. 
um, that is a that is a small picture thinking that doesn't actually fix the problem. You need to be thinking bigger, bigger picture here. That when you set your child up for success, you set you have to focus on setting the whole family up for success, and that level of uh, support needs to be quite intensive in order to address multiple people at once, and uh, with a with a certain level of cohesion. And you can do that. You can do that by breaking out of the pattern uh, yourself and leading your family. It's a lot easier to follow a system with people who have have done this before. Okay. So I encourage you to, um, to continue to assess how you are taking the reins in managing your child's emotional health, how you are taking the reins in managing the, the emotional health of the entire family. It starts with you. If you want our help breaking out of this pattern, if you want to, to um, not just understand how this pattern starts, but also learn how to re, re, uh, re, redesign the family dynamic and do that consistently so that it sticks, then I encourage you to book a call with our team. Uh, we'll have a conversation with uh, your you, your spouse or co-parent, and uh, discuss where you're struggling, what your goals are, and assess your skill gaps as well as the skill gaps of your child. And if what we do is going to help you bridge that gap, close those gaps, then we will be happy to support you in, in noticing on that very same call what it takes to break out of the pattern, what's necessary to break out of the pattern, and you can get started on that very same phone call. Because why wait, right? No successful person delays their success for tomorrow. So uh, you can absolutely go ahead and, and take care of that in one conversation and uh, get started and break out of that pattern. Happy to speak with you, uh, have our team members walk you through what would be most appropriate for your family and uh, discuss whether or not working with us is the most appropriate avenue to solve that problem. And uh, talk to you soon, okay? Uh, have a good day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.